I appreciate that. How good is it to have elders who love the church, to have a church where elders and staff work together, pray together, and um, we have relatively little drama and have for a long time. Uh, those of you who have been here a long time, that's true, isn't it? A lot of churches have problems. We don't. I mean, one of the places where we have not had problems is we have prayerful leaders in the elder board and on the staff. And consequently, we've, these have been some of the hardest years, the last two, for all the challenges we face. But generally speaking, the Lord's peace has been on Calvary. And we do have an awesome staff that that really do a fantastic job, and I hope you'll think about that. <clears throat> and when I, when I say that, I think of what happens behind the scenes that nobody sees that keeps the organization together in processes and procedures and governance and the elders and all of the support team that makes all that happen create the environment that, that you can come in on Sunday morning experience really nice things here and ministries yesterday. The women were together for brunch yesterday and all that. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And there are a lot of people outside of the church that would love to be a part of this experience. Let's have our eyes on them. There, there will be people who want to come to church this season of Advent and celebrate Christ. Let, let us go into all the world and share the gospel. That's, that's why we're here. We're not just for us. We're, we're for the world, right? Okay, today we're going to close um, almost the book of Hebrews. The last message will be next week on all of chapter 13. So you can read chapter 13 between now and next Sunday. But today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18 through the end of the chapter um, 18 down to 29. If you have been with us for this series, we will be 16 weeks in the book of Hebrews. So much left unsaid, but 16 weeks. It's been rich for me. I trust you've enjoyed it. The purpose of Hebrews is to, uh, as Peter prayed, to draw together the continuity of God's work from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to show repeatedly how superior, how much greater is Jesus than all that preceded, which were mapping the way to culminate in the revelation of Jesus Christ who came into the world to be the Son of God, to be the final sacrifice, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In our text today, we are going to be looking at the final comparison of how Jesus is greater than what came before. Our morning together is going to culminate in communion. So I just pray that in your mind, as I'm speaking today, and we're thinking about what happened in the Old Testament, how it led to where we are today, and how Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament, in your mind, I'm praying that you are already thinking, and in the next 30 minutes, you'll be thinking, 
how can I eat this bread and drink this cup in a way that is worthy worship of the great one? That's where we're going. So in the comparisons that have happened all through the book of Hebrews and now summarized in this final section, it comes again out of a word of warning from earlier in chapter 12. Don't fail to obtain the grace that God has showed in his son. And as a loving friend to you, I would encourage you, do not fail God by missing what he has done in his son. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God. Verse 18 then says, for, and that word for is built on that prior warning. This is the last warning in the book of Hebrews. And it underscores that Jesus is a better word. He is a better high priest. He is a better sacrifice. His blood is better than goats and bulls. And his covenant, the new covenant in his blood, is better than the old covenant, and it supersedes it. And in the text this morning, the writer of Hebrews offers one final motif for making a comparison between the old covenant in Moses and the new covenant with Jesus. And in the text, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 are a reference to the old covenant and then the new covenant. An old mountain called Mount Sinai and a new mountain called Zion. And all the writer of Hebrews is doing is capturing an imagery or an analogy that would be well known to the listeners of this sermon because they were Jewish and they knew their Old Testament, that he's going to make a comparison of Mount Sinai. Now, you might not know what Mount Sinai means, but we're going to get there. And he's making that comparison to the new mountain, Jesus' kingdom mountain called Zion, the heavenly city. So let's look at the comparisons. In order to do it, though, are you with me? I know. I think you are. (laughs) Keep your finger here in Hebrews and turn left in your Bible because this will help you. This will be our, our last time in the book of Hebrews of going to an Old Testament passage, but this helps. It helps us to go to Exodus chapter 19, where the mountain referred to in Hebrews as Mount Sinai is described. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 19, and there Israel has made its way out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness, and on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, 
how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if indeed you obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. All the earth is mine. Let's say that together. All the earth is mine. That's God saying to his people, all of this is mine. We'll come back to that. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses called the elders and the people before all and told them all the words that the Lord had commanded. And all the peoples answered and said, all that the Lord has spoken we're going to do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you. And you may believe, and they may believe you forever. So when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch even the edge of the mountain, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand will touch him, but he will be stoned or shot as with an arrow." And whether beast or man, he won't live if he touches the mountain. And when the trumpet sounds and the long blast, they shall come up on the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain and went to the people, and they consecrated the people. They washed their garments, and he said to them, Be ready on the third day. Don't even go near a woman. Like, this is serious business. We're gonna, we, the people, are going to meet with God. Get yourself consecrated. Be chaste. You're about to meet God. On the mountain. You get the tension? Get how fierce it is? So in the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud in the mountain, the very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on the fire and the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, so he went up. What happens in chapter 20? Ten commandments. God gives to Moses. All right, so all that's the prelude to the giving of chapter 20 of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are given, and look at chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, you get it? The people were afraid. And they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said, don't fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you 
so that you will not sin. Isn't that amazing? Okay, that's in the mind of the writer of Hebrews when he gets to chapter 12, verse 18. So with that in your mind, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. And there we read, For you have not come to what... You have not come to what may be touched. What could be touched that shouldn't have been touched? Sinai. So he is writing Hebrews 1.18. You've come to a mountain that can't be touched. And now he's going to describe the mountain that was touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice whose words make the hearers beg for no further messages from God. You've come to a mountain different than that. And then he describes Sinai that way. Next verse, 20. They couldn't even endure the order that was given even if a beast touches the mountain, if a, if a cow wanders up there, and God is on that mountain, it will die. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The writer of Hebrews is saying that that covenant experience where God came down on the mountain and was present there in thunder and lightning and trembling and earthquake and speaking his moral law, you shall not commit adultery, you shall have no other God before me. The moral law of God in the Ten Commandments, the people feared, and God's purpose was to be there in his holiness and magnitude and spectacular power so that indisputably people would know this is the voice of God we're listening to. We should hear him. He is speaking to us so that we will not sin against him. And the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to that mountain. That was the old. That was God speaking in the old covenant announcement of that. And so sacred was that mountain because God's presence was there that an animal would be killed if it came into his presence. It was an amazing, awesome thing. And he paints, the writer of Hebrews, a really terrifying picture of Mount Sinai and says, that's not the mountain you came to. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, this is where the writer is using an analogy of two separate mountains. One, an old covenant law from Moses to a new mountain, Mount Zion, to a city of the living God, to a heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering. There's a different mountain. And now he describes in the following verses what is the, the mountain in his analogy, of the kingdom of God. Not Sinai, but Zion. Zion was a hill in the Jerusalem area that David took in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and it was close to Jerusalem so that eventually Zion became the title of the city of Jerusalem. 
marching up to Zion. But it was more than Jerusalem. And in fact, in the analogy, it's not even a physical city in Israel, in the mind. It's like a, a heavenly Jerusalem. It's a living city. So what he's saying is, you be careful not to miss the grace of God, for you didn't come to the mountain where God said, do this or you'll die. You, you came to a new mountain, and now he's describing the new covenant mountain as the city of the living God, the kingdom where God is going to reign, the heavenly Jerusalem, and in the kingdom that you are entering in through Christ are innumerable angels in festal gathering. What do you think that means? A celebration. You're not in trembling on the mountain of Sinai where you're afraid God's going to... You have entered the mountain of the living God. He's alive. And it's the city of a heavenly Jerusalem. It's not of this world. It's a coming kingdom. And gathered there are innumerable angels, and they are dressed for celebration because the God of the universe is gathering his church. Next verse. 23 says, and, and not only festive angels, but an assembly of firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. I think these are th those believers in the church, the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn among many, and I think it's those who are the, the church of God. And so you have come to the mountain where the angels are celebrating, and you've come to the assembly of the people who have become born again, and they're enrolled in heaven. Their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And you've come to God. And what do we know about God? He's the judge of all. So he hasn't changed fundamentally. He's still the same God. But we're coming to this mountain, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect these phrases that describe who's on that mountain, what's in that kingdom, angels, assembly of the firstborn probably are believers in Christ. You've come to God, the judge of all. You've come to the spirits made righteous, probably our Old Testament saints who are trusting in the coming forgiveness. Probably that's who the spirits of the righteous made perfect with the death of Christ. I think that's what it is. And then verse 24, and mostly you've come to, not the mountain that you can touch, but you've come to this mountain you can't touch, a heavenly Jerusalem where the angels are and the firstborn and God the judge. You've come supremely to, everybody, Jesus. When you come to hear of the new covenant realities, you come to Jesus. And you've come to him because he's the mediator of a new covenant. And you come to be sprinkled by his blood, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel offered a sacrifice, and it was accepted. And then he was killed by his brother, and his blood perhaps is calling out from the ground for revenge. But the word of the sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word, not of revenge, but of forgiveness. And, and in, 
in classic manner, as the writer of Hebrews has done, he's getting this huge collision of all these theological ideas from the Old Testament and holds them together. There's a mountain where the Old Covenant came. There's a mountain where the New Covenant came. And you haven't come to that mountain. You've come to this mountain where Jesus Christ supremely is the one who mediates a new covenant. Remember the context. Why does that make sense? Because in 65 AD, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people who are trying to hold on to the old Judaism, and he's calling them to say, let go of that. Come to Christ. Believe in Christ. Don't, don't be, try to be bound by the law of Moses. Have the law of the spirit of life in you. The law kills. The spirit gives life. Romans chapter 7, 8, for your reference later. You see it? Please shake your head if you do. Are there any questions? It's complicated, but it's like a, it's just an illustration. And here, here's where it comes down to. You have to trust in Jesus of the new covenant, not in your ability to keep the law of the old covenant. And it is human pride that leads us to think we could act out good enough behavior so that God would approve. And he won't. He can't. There's only one person who could take the law of Moses. Everybody, come back for this. There's only one person who could fill everything that Mount Sinai talked about. And in perfect heart and conduct, completely fulfill the Old Testament law of God. And who is that? Jesus Christ fulfilled everything about Mount Sinai. And then he went to the cross as the perfect law-keeping Son of God to die for people who couldn't keep the law. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's greater He's greater than. You didn't come to that mountain. You came to this mountain where you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And if you haven't come to Jesus yet, I want to encourage you, before you take communion today, to just call out to Jesus and invite him to be your Savior. This contrast is what hangs many people up because we all in our pride want to think that we can fulfill the law and do the very best we can. And God says, your, your best deeds are as filthy rags. You need a Savior who died in your place to forgive you of your sins. And Jesus will do that if you will come to him. So that's the contrast. Right after the contrast of these two mountains, there is a call to the readers to respond to an invitation. There's a call for a response. And here's the response. Starting in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Okay? If these two mountain metaphor analogy is true, you got to come to Jesus, the minister of the new covenant. The writer of Hebrews just says, hey, everybody. See to it that you don't refuse God speaking to you today that you need to come to Jesus. 
This is a theme that's been repeated throughout the book of Hebrews. Don't be dull of hearing. Don't slide away. Don't shrink back. God is speaking to you that you have to believe in Jesus and trust in him. See that you do not refuse him who's speaking. In Hebrews chapter 1, 1, God spoke. In Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus spoke. In Hebrews chapter 3, there's a word that the Holy Spirit spoke. Speaking, the speaking of God is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews, and we're coming down to the end, and here's the last warning. Be careful that you don't neglect listening to God. I think that's right for us today. I think I think it's right for us that God is saying, people, the time is short. Listen to God. You can trust your ability to keep the mountain of Sinai law, or you can trust in the one who made a new covenant, Jesus. And by the way, here's the warning. If they didn't escape who heard the mountain shake and God warning in Sinai, Exodus 19, if they didn't escape and they didn't, how will we escape if we hear God speaking from heaven? What's the answer? We won't. It's okay to be warned. Church is a good place to be warned, okay? It's okay to hear from God in this safe environment. All of us in this room are sinners. All of us need the forgiveness of Jesus. He died on the cross to offer it to all of us. The warning is, don't refuse him when he's speaking to you. Come and trust me for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't hold your arms crossed and say, I'll make it. I'm good enough. I'll get there. No, you won't. You can't. We can't. We need a Savior who perfectly fulfilled the law and then died in our place. He's the one whose blood created this new covenant that we're going to drink in a moment. So, first application, listen to God. And I mean tomorrow morning when you wake up, open your Bible, read Hebrews chapter 13, listen to God. Say, God, what do you want me to hear? I want to live in the new covenant realities of Jesus Christ, my Savior. The second thing is be warned. Maybe I've already said this, but he goes on into a deeper warning here in verse 26. At that time, that is at Mount Sinai, when God came into the mountain, at that time, his voice shook the whole earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the whole earth, but the heavens also. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Here's the warning, and this is eschatological, looking forward to the end of the age, where the writer of Hebrews says, at Mount Sinai, he shook the earth, but the time's coming that he's going to shake the earth again, and he's going to shake the heavens too, and everything that can be shaken is going to fall away, and the only things that are remain are going to be the things that God causes to remain, things of God that remain. There is a kingdom coming, 
And that shaking is going to happen in all the earth, in every kingdom, in every king, in every government, every place in this world is going to be shaken by the coming judgment of God. And the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So let's sing the hallelujah chorus. I mean... That is it. That's what's coming. There is a shaking coming. And so this is the Bible warning us. He shook the earth in Exodus 19, but he's going to shake the heavens too. And I take that to mean all the spiritual realms of darkness are going to come to final judgment. Everything in heaven is going to be sorted out, and the God of the universe, who is a judge, is going to settle accounts. That day is coming. And what will remain is the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We have time to see it? Keep your finger here and turn right in your Bible to uh, first, Second Peter chapter 3. I hope you're still with me, but you can write this down. Second Peter chapter 3. Because there, Peter says, don't overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is his one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. He's patient towards you, not wishing for any of you here today to, re- to perish, but that you would all reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and it the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Hmm? That's the application point. This is coming. So what kind of people should we be? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord because of which... The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they are burned. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heaven, new earth, in which righteousness dwells. That's Peter's way of saying, the world is going to be shaken by a final judgment. No time, but Hebrews chapter 21 talks about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That, that's what's coming. It's, it's sort of tied in here together. The warning is, if there is this great new king mountain of Zion, the heavenly kingdom, we should listen to God. We should really be aware that a future judgment is coming. So should we live in fear? Let's see the final verses. We shouldn't live in fear. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Should we live in fear? Are you getting me now? <laughs> Should we live in fear? No. Now, part of the reality here is this kingdom is certain. The future judgment is certain. So how do we live between now and then? Therefore, like for right now, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. Are you a thankful people? Lucy was in the store the other day at the pharmacy. She came home and told me that she was getting a prescription, and it was a, a woman 
in front of her who was tearing up the people behind the counter. Uh, and I'll just say, she challenged the customer to be respectful of the workers and to thank them. She went off in a huff, and the people behind the counter said, thank you for saying what we can't say to the customer. <laughs> like, you just know it's right not to grumble against people who serve you. God served us in Christ. He gave us Jesus. He gives us breath in our lungs. Do you not know you are here today because of the grace of God alone? Do you not know that you are part of an eternal kingdom because Jesus atoned for your sins, which I could never pay for my sins. I, I deserve hell, and God gives me an eternal kingdom in his presence where he will reign forever. God gave me that. Therefore, let's be grateful. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When all the world is shaken, if you're in Christ and his new covenant blood is over you, you're set, you're safe, you're secure, you're with him. He will hold you. He will bring judgment. He won't judge you because his blood covers you. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ, in the new covenant. You trust his blood. You, you rely on Jesus to be your savior. You will not be shaken, even though all the world threatens to undo you. So let's offer to God acceptable worship. What is that? All of me for all of God's glory. Like I don't have parts that are for me. It's my whole life for God and his glory. The way I go to work, I, I want you, I want everyone who calls Calvary home to reject anything that says worship equals music. Music can be worship, but worship is the service of your life for the glory of God. So when you go to work, how do I work in my company as unto the Lord? So he's worshiped. He's seen to be worthy. How do I go to school? How do I take a test? How do I, how do I relate to the opposite sex, the same sex? How do I relate to my money? What do I do with my money? Money is worship. How do you worship God with your resources? Uh, with your health, with your words. Uh, let us continually offer up to God acceptable worship. My body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, a reasonable service of worship, Paul said. For God is a consuming fire. There's the motif again. That's real. God's a consuming fire. You want to be under the shelter of a living Savior, Jesus, whose blood atoned for your sins, and you cling to him and say, you're the king of this kingdom, not me. I follow you. There's a kingdom we're a part of, and Jesus is the king. We give him all the glory. So when he went to the cross, 
That's where it all became possible. He gave his life to forgive sinners. So I want us to just pray together. And I want to encourage you with your just a little bit of silence. Maybe just take this cup. In a moment, we're, going to, we're just going to break open the bread piece. And so let's just quietly bow our heads. Jesus said, this is my body for you. He substituted himself in your place. And in his body, he bore the wrath of the consuming God. Why don't you just, let's just thank him now for ushering in this kingdom. So take the little piece of wafer and let us eat it in remembrance of Christ. His death on the cross, his, his punishment of the righteous wrath of God was for our forgiveness. Take and eat in remembrance of him. come to a better blood, the only blood that forgives sins, not animals, not Abel's, blood of Jesus, precious Savior, perfect, sinless blood of the Lamb of God, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, take and drink in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Amen.